Earlier today, Attorney General Dana Nessel was joined by officials from the Department of Justice and the FBI to announce state and federal charges against 13 members of two militia groups who are preparing to kidnap and possibly kill me. We're grateful to the FBI and law enforcement to discover these domestic terrorists and stop them. You know, it's the sort of behavior you might expect from ISIS. You might see a number that high in a sprawling narcotics conspiracy that stretches from coast to coast and beyond. That's a pretty high number in a case like this. It really reflects, I think, how deeply the government has been diving uh, into this investigation to try to make these cases. It was just literally a bunch of working class guys who on the weekend got together and, you know, exercised their rights and trained with firearms. So the FBI says, hey, we'll just pay for everything. Who arranged the meeting? The FBI's paid provocateur. Robeson was getting paid to set this stuff up. So they make the route, they set the locations, they make the plan, they do everything, and Adam's literally just sitting in the basement of the vacuum repair shop smoking blunts all day. You're gonna hear that my client was the leader of this group. But I think you're also gonna hear that there was an election held to identify the leader, and it was Dan. How can I frame a social situation to make this naive person appear to be a dangerous, violent terrorist? The whole goal was for the FBI to spend millions of dollars to create militia groups, record them saying offensive stuff, and then frame them in a fake conspiracy. Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on No Way Jose YouTube channel, all major auto packages, and Odyssey as well. Today, my guest is Radix. Uh, if you guys have been following my channel for a while, you guys know I have a pretty decent playlist on the uh, the Michigan kidnapping plot. I always put it in quotes. Uh, I don't even really know what to refer to it other than that. It's kind of silly. But, uh, I mean, this episode will be dropping probably like right after my Timcast experience. So I do realize there are probably new people coming here learning some, learning about this. But I do want you guys to know there is a playlist. But for those who have been sticking around for a while, this lady, she is actually probably basically the primary source I used for that series. I also had Brandon on a few times as well. Brandon Caserta, one of the individuals, uh, one of the conspirators, if you will. Uh, so I've had him on. Uh, I've covered it quite in depth. I haven't in a few months, and there's still been more developments. Uh, you guys just saw that documentary trailer that was actually done by Radix herself. Uh, so um, you know that, I, that's why I brought her on, kind of boost it. Also, I just want to talk to her in general. I wanted to have her on for a while. Uh, like I said, she was the main source. I do want to real quick pay the bills, let you guys know this works. Like I just said, this will be dropping, so this is pre-recorded. But if you're a patron, you get to catch the live stream. Like this is February 2nd right now where I'm doing it. So this is when you would have got it if you were a patron. And uh, it's patreon.com. So no way Jose 2020. Lowest level is two bucks. Highest level is 20. Uh, my 20 level is sponsors at Mikel Thorpe of the Expat Money Show. Jeremy, Etsy.com slash shop slash Raising Liberty is his uh, Etsy store. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Rhymes. Then I have Toad, who's my co-host on Tower Gang. I will warn you, since I have new people coming in, that is an offensive comedy show. If you, so if you don't like offensive comedy, don't go to that. I, if you come in and say I'm offended, I won't care. 
but yeah, you can follow my buddy Toad at Tower Gang Toad. You can also go check out the podcast Tower Gang, uh, YouTube Rumble. It's also on Spotify, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and then I have Zach Overacker at Z-O-V-E-R-A-C-K. Uh, that's his Twitter handle if you want to follow him there. Uh, I do want to let you know, last thing, uh, Top Lobster, toplobster.com. Use Jose at checkout for 10% off. That's where you can get my merch, Tower Gang merch, a bunch of other shows merch, and other stuff that's not even show-related, just stuff that he's done that's dope. Uh, that he's the one who, if you're watching this Chimcast, I'll have had my Terrence Hickey didn't kill himself shirt on there. You can get it there. Uh, you know, that's OKC related. I also have a playlist there. If you want to go check that out, I have a giant playlist in OKC. That is kind of like my thing. Although, you know, I got it from Richard Booth and he is the guy. So definitely go check him out. But uh, with uh, with all that done, all the paying the bills and all that nonsense, look at, let's get Chris, uh, Radix in here. What's up, Radix? Do you prefer going by Christina or Radix? Because I've never seen you go by Christina. <laughs> well, I mean, you can call me Christina. It doesn't really matter to me. Radix Verum is like my sort of pen name. So if you're looking for my work, look for Radix Verum. Uh, Radix, you can call it Radix, Radix, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. It is actually Latin for the root of truth, oh. which I thought was so cool. <laughs> so my <laughs> substack is like, um radixverum.substack.com and my locals is radixverum.locals.com so it's just easier for everybody to just call me radix is it radix or radix do, do you know like the proper pronunciation not that no. it matters i'm just curious i <laughs> no, guess in I my head I didn't, I didn't know it was latin so just my head it's just like rad like i assumed it was like some sort of just cool name you know i don't know from a video game or something <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Is it from a video game? No, no. Oh, okay. But I am rad. Oh, so. Okay. I don't. That was the vibe I got. It was like some anime or video game thing. I don't know why that's what it sounded like to me. Uh, but I remember I looked up once trying to figure out what the hell it was just because I was curious because such a weird yeah. name. And like I did find other erratics things, but I never found the Latin connection. But that's cool. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. But uh, let's. If yeah. you could, for the audience, uh, could you let them know who you are, what you're about? I knew you just yes. kind of laid out your uh, some of your stuff already, but uh, just kind of give them an idea of the kind of maybe the things you go into. And if you want to do other plugs. Yeah, well, you can. sure. So I used to be a paralegal for like 10 years. And then uh, I decided to kind of, I don't know how it happened. I just kind of got into like covering things. I guess I've always been online, you know, kind of anonymous and stuff and just doing kind of stuff that probably you were doing, like making Twitter threads and then people start following you. And then you're like, oh yeah, okay. Then you kind of get into like, I guess, being a content creator or whatever. But primarily, I guess you could say investigative journalist. I've been writing articles for several years following different cases. I have a YouTube channel now where I make content and now I'm getting into making a documentary, which I've never done before. So this is my first documentary, which I'm super proud of. And I'm learning now just how difficult that is and how hard it is. But you know, I think it's super important because we're at the age now where people don't really like to read anymore. Um, I can tell you how I, I've spent seven hours writing an article for Substack that I know for a fact, most people won't read. They'll read like the first paragraph or the headline and you know that they're not reading the full thing because they don't understand it or they mischaracterize what you're saying. And it's like, okay, I know you didn't read the whole thing, you know? And so I think that in this age, we, we have to get comfortable kind of putting our content out there in video form. So yeah, yeah I think no. that's why I think documentaries are so important and so powerful. 
Yeah, and that's why podcasts are booming as well. I do. I wish I. Uh, I'm kind of a working schmuck, so I wish I had time. There was a period, especially during the pandemic, where I actually dig into writing a little bit, and I liked it. It's great. Like, like I feel like the value. Maybe you'll agree with me. Uh, the value is more, in a sense, for you because it allows you to digest information so much differently and better. Because now yeah. you've obviously probably already gone through the trouble of, uh, you know, trying to. Uh, you know, accumulate this information from elsewhere. And now you're trying to then put pen to paper or obviously, you know, fingers to computer or whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it allows you to absorb it in a different way. Uh, it's, I actually like, if I really want to absorb something, like I do audiobooks a lot cause I'm a working guy, but yeah. like, I also like to read, read, but I don't have as much time to, but if I really like something, I will do both. That way I can like digest in different ways. And then writing's another way. I think like whatever yeah. different mediums you can do, it, it, it you just digest it in different ways, even if that's writing. not your preferred learning method. Yeah, I think writing is super important, especially for me. Like when anytime I'm reading something, I always take notes. I have like, I create like little notebooks for something. I've got a thousand notebooks on the Whitmer case, right? And I, I think there's something about writing it down you know, especially if you write it down like three times or something, handwriting, there's something about moving your hand on the paper. I think that it helps with clarity too. It helps you clarify your thoughts and refine them. I kind of tend to be like when I'm talking a sort of just like stream of consciousness type thing where I'm not, I don't think too much before I speak. I don't really have much of a filter, but when I'm writing, it's different. And it, I have the time to really like articulate, I think myself much better. Um, yeah. but also, like you said, you know, you're taking different information from different sources and kind of putting it together and then explaining it yourself, adding your own opinion to it, uh, documenting your sources. So I think that writing is very helpful and I like doing it. It's just, um, you know, sometimes you can only do so much. I feel so bad because like I haven't published on my Substack in forever. I feel like, yeah, uh, but uh, everybody knows what I'm working on right now. So. I mean, you definitely write plenty. I'll tell you that because I did read a ton of your writing when I was looking at the Michigan stuff. And I oh, will say yeah. that that's an additional thing. I think if you're just looking at metrics of like who's actually reading these, uh, I think that is not necessarily it's kind of like missing the point when it comes to writing, because like it obviously is useful for people like me that are actually out there looking for the information, because don't get me wrong. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Like I guess I'm a working guy. I listen to podcasts while I work. So that's kind of how I or podcasts or audiobooks. That's how I digest most information. But if I'm really trying to like get into the weeds of something, like finding little essays and stuff is it, it's super helpful. So yeah, I'm sure I there's been other nuts. people doing the same. I huh? went nuts with the Whitmer thing. I'll tell you what. So I'll just kind of give some background here for people who maybe aren't familiar with my work. So I have been aware, we'll just say I've been aware of like what the government does, how they frame people, how they do, you could call false flags or uh, stuff like that. You know, just general like government misconduct. Something I have been researching prior to the Whitmer thing was these PATCON operations. So PATCON stands for Patriot Conspiracy, and it was an FBI project in the 90s, possibly starting prior to that and might go back to the 80s. We just don't know for sure of the FBI wanting to infiltrate Christian and right-wing militia groups. You know, there was a pretty big militia movement in the 80s and 90s. And I guess for whatever reason, they wanted to kind of infiltrate that. And it was very similar to like COINTELPRO. We know about COINTELPRO, though, because a lot of that stuff went through court cases. You know, there were convictions. 
that happened. And so you got some of the FBI's documents relating to these operations. You got more insight into them. PatCon was different. Most of the groups that the FBI infiltrated, like they didn't actually really do anything criminal as far as I know. And that is kind of why the PatCon information stayed hidden for so long. But once you study these things enough, you know, you can kind of see patterns of activity, patterns of behavior on the part of these government agencies where they all have kind of playbooks for how they infiltrate organizations, kind of try to radicalize or subvert them from within, try to get people to engage in criminal activity or incriminate themselves. Um, so when I saw it back in October of 2020, when I saw these guys were arrested and I saw the mainstream media coverage of it, I immediately knew that's not the real story. There's going to be more to this story, you know, just kind of the way they were hyping this thing up, right? So for people who are completely unfamiliar with the Whitmer case, uh, in October of 2020, it was early October, I think it was either October 7th or October 8th. I think the guys were arrested October 7th, and then they announced it October 8th of 2020. They said that they had arrested 13 men who were conspiring to possibly kidnap and kill Gretchen Whitmer. And uh, they said that these guys were from two different militia groups. We never really got the name of the second militia group, but that was like one of the earlier claims, right? And you saw Joe Biden talked about these guys and smeared them and said that they were like ISIS. Um, Gretchen Whitmer made a very similar statement. And me being the kind of person I am, I'm like, well, you know, didn't, didn't the U.S. government kind of like create ISIS? So I'm like... Hmm. Interesting comparison there, right? So I just started uh, researching it and uh, writing about it. And then as it, the case progresses, right, initially, um, from what I remember, they all of them were going to fight it. Ty Garbin was the first person to take a plea deal. And I think he took a plea deal in late October of 2020. So they flipped him almost immediately. And um, if you watch the documentary, Lord willing, that we get it funded and completed. If you watch the documentary, you'll understand why Ty Garbin was probably the first person that they offered a plea deal to and that they put the screws to. And there's reasons for that that are unrelated to the actual Whitmer allegations of conspiracy to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. These guys uh, were later hit with a superseding indictment that charged them with weapons of mass destruction which is just simply ludicrous. You know, they said they had an unregistered destructive device. And, um, but so the more that you look into it, right, as somebody who is trying to report on the case, it's like, the more that you look into it, the more it doesn't make sense. The government's own narrative changes over time. You know, they'll say one thing when these guys are indicted, right? They take an indictment, they get a grand jury to secure uh, that indictment. And then that changes from the criminal complaint. And then that the story changes as discovery comes out in the case. And we learn that the FBI used a network of at least 12 informants and two undercover agents, possibly more. Uh, that's just what we know about and what was disclosed in court documents. Um, but there's other documentation related to this case. There is still some discovery under seal why is that? You know, these guys have all been convicted at this point. So the federal case is over. Why is that information still sealed? And I, I believe that the reason it's still sealed is because it really would 
show that this was bigger than Michigan. There were a lot of uh, different states, different targets in different states, and um, they wanted it to be a multi-state thing. They just, for whatever reason, weren't able to get that off the ground. So, yeah, the story constantly changes. And, um, you know, it, it just will seem to be one thing after another. We learn about, you know, misconduct of one FBI agent that was handling the case, then another one, then another one. Then there's a prosecutor that uh, is removed. And, and it's just all these things kept happening that really kind of made me think that there's something going on here. This is much bigger than it appears. And there's obviously something they're trying to hide. Like if you have all of this evidence, right, that these guys were conspiring to kidnap a governor, um, where is it? Like how come we don't have actual audio of anyone actually entering into an agreement to do something like that? That's not what happened. So I listened in to the first trial um, for people who are maybe – unaware of what happened there there were actually two trials so the first trial was in march of uh, 2021 and it was um it was just kind of crazy so i listened in every single day to the the kinds of things that the government was doing and you know if you're claiming that these guys were going to execute a plan to kidnap and kill a governor like you need to see a furtherance of some kind of criminal conspiracy, right? You would expect to see them talking about it or like actually taking steps to make it happen. None of that is there. And every single time there is somebody pushing something like offensive action, it is the government. These guys wouldn't have met each other without the government introducing them to one another. And sort of like, in my opinion, the way that it looks from what I've seen is they were taking these guys and trying to get them into what looked like a compromising situation. So, you know, they were doing things and remember the time to the course of the investigation was supposed to be March of 2020 up until the men were arrested in October of 2020. So during that time, you have to remember that there are there's lockdowns. Um, there are people kind of protesting that, like anti-lockdown rallies. You also have um, people protesting police brutality. So you have BLM having their kind of riots and stuff. Cities are burning down. Grand Rapids is one of those. People and so there's, yeah. yeah, there's a conflagration of events happening in this specific time and place where there was a certain subset of the population, some working class guys who were going to want to figure out, hey, like we need to be able to protect ourselves and our families. We're watching people getting pulled out of vehicles and beaten. We are watching, um, you know, businesses being burned down and looted. And so their mindset was, hey, I want to learn how to protect myself. I want to get good with kind of defensive firearms training, maybe even some medical training. And that's sort of how this was sold to these guys. So most of them were not even members of the Wolverine Watchmen, which was the militia group in Michigan that the government has kind of claimed these guys were all members of the Watchmen. That's not true. The Watchmen was a group run by Pete Morrison and, um, uh, sorry, Joe Morrison and Pete Musico. And it was a small group of people. They had like a little private Facebook page that I think maybe had 15 members in it. Weren't and, one of them um, an informant, or am I remember that incorrectly? 
it, that's what ends up happening. So yeah, yeah. Dan Chappell is one of the government's main informants. He was an Iraq war veteran. And, um, you know, the government really kind of hyped this guy up as somebody that was like super credible, right? They said, oh, he's a war hero. He served our country and then came home and was protecting our country again from these big bad guys. Well, that isn't what happened. You know, there's a story of how he and I'm, I'm sure this sounds like it's rambling and going all over the place. Yeah. I would just tell people, be patient. Um there's I, so I do, much real here. quick. I do want to say, I think this is important context before we can go yeah. into it. Dan Chapel, I believe it was Dan Chapel. Maybe I'm mixing up informants. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm almost <laughs> so certain. It's, it's, yeah. There's so many of them. Uh, you, you may, like I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm almost pretty, I'm pretty certain this is Dan Chapel. I think he made like what, essentially the uh, a value of like, not all of it was like literal money. Some of it was like, they would give him stuff or pay off his house and do this and that. I think he that made happened. something ridiculous. Like, six figures over a six month period of time. So I do think you need to, as we're going into this, uh, think about it in that light of this is an individual that is making, that is like, that is incredible. Like if I, I don't yeah. make that in a year, so like, I, I don't, I'm not right. asking you, like, I think, I mean, obviously most people don't like, I, I think most he people did. would be willing to do he pretty depraved things for that. $50,000 a year working as a truck driver, as a contractor for USPS. So he was a, a trucker for the Postal Service through a third-party contractor. Um, he was making like $50,000 a year with that job. You know, but we learned, yeah, like he had a lot to gain by becoming an informant. And his story is very interesting right so he claims that real quick it's also not unique i would highly suggest people read terror factory terror factory by trevor aronson he goes into how informants work and it is ridiculous this is not uncommon so anytime you see anything fbi at all related you need to be incredibly skeptical because there's usually an informant and they have crazy incentives that go the way you don't want it to go but sorry yeah no that's really good context and it's very important you know i think a lot of people are aware of at least now there's an understanding that in the wake of 9 11 muslim men were targeted by the fbi for essentially fake terror plots you know that the fbi would create and then swoop into foil you know um and i think that we've gotten into the point now as a society where people get that like they know there's every time one of these events comes up that Muslim terrorism, almost always they've been in contact with an FBI informant or were previously known to the FBI. And then the FBI did nothing to stop them. It's stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And then, um, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off again. I also want to say, I totally, I just laid out how they give a carrot for the informants, but they will also give a stick because uh, it's not uncommon, especially uh, in, in particular with the, the 9-11, like the, the, you know, the foreigners and stuff, it was not uncommon that they would threaten their uh, citizenship and stuff and be like, we will deport you. And then they will, these will be people who have done nothing wrong. And they will be like, you will pay for this if you don't do what we want you to. Or you can come along and do what we want. And you, there may be monetary gain for you at hand. So there's a carrot and stick. And so I don't, obviously, I'm sure, I mean, unless you've got new information, we don't know. We probably don't know what the carrot or and or the stick was for these guys. But uh, I know I think one or, or two or a few of these guys actually had some criminal issues. So it's very likely that they were, you know, looking at some criminal time and then someone swooped in and is like, hey, we can fuck you big time or you can make some money. Which would you like? You know, yeah. so carrot stick. But go on. That's right. And they actually operate kind of worse than the mafia. You mm-hmm. know, the mafia has a code of honor, at least where they're not going to go after your kids or your family. 
the government will. They will mm -hmm. absolutely use your kids against you to threaten you into compliance. Uh, they don't have that kind of honor, you know, or whatever you want to call it. They don't have those ethics. <laughs> uh, but you make a good point. Um, you know, we'll get into Steve Robeson, who is the one that you were alluding to that had the very long criminal record. Um, but just going back to Dan. So yeah, uh, you're absolutely correct. There is, there's financial incentive for people to become informants. And for Dan in particular, it seemed that he kind of wanted to be important. He wanted to be special, right? Um, and uh, obviously that wasn't the case at, at his job working, you know, as a truck driver for USPS or whatever. He wasn't even making a lot of money as a truck driver. In fact, Barry Croft was making much more money than him as a truck driver. Barry is, of course, one of the defendants who is now, um, you know, he's been sentenced to 19 years in prison and the government called him the uh, spiritual leader of the group and said he was like the blind sheik or something. You know, we, and we'll get into that because Look. it's ludicrous <laughs> and insane. Um, yeah. They talked, like they mentioned my interviews with Barry at his sentencing because we did, you know, I asked him if he wanted to get a message out the night before he was going to be sentenced. I said, I'll put it up on my YouTube channel. And he said, yeah, you know, I would like to make a statement because after going through everything, he didn't have faith in the legal system. He just kind of wanted to make a statement. And the next day, the, the next morning at his sentencing, the prosecutor, Nils Kessler, brought it up and quoted it and said, oh, he's fully radicalized. You know, he's unrepentant. And it's like, oh, you mean so he didn't say, yeah, I did something that you framed me for. Like he didn't say he had faith in the system, you know, or whatever, like just nonsense. Yeah, which that but, was a um, common theme throughout all of this. A lot of it was about ideology. They would frame yes. things because. I mean, I don't know how many people that are listening to this are familiar with like things like Boog Boys, but a lot of these people had like similar-ish type ideologies to that where or, or even maybe I guess the the positive aspects of like three percenters and stuff. The idea of like, hey, they don't want to do violence, but if violence comes to them, they will, you know, have self-defense, whether that be the government or not. And that is a pretty common libertarian anarchist position, what have you. And it's and if you really look at it in its proper light, there's nothing offensive about that. Like the idea that the government should have some special lease to be able to do wrong to you is ludicrous. So, and they're not, mm -hmm. they're in no way saying they're being aggressors, but this is a common theme throughout where they would refer to things like that. And then even, you know, more traditional like boomer conservative shit, like 1776 type stuff they would bring up too. That is, that is like, stuff that you learn in grade school <laughs> you know what's funny about that is like at barry's sentencing the prosecutor nils kessler said that um that barry uh when he talked about wanting to restore the constitution um you know these were some of the things they caught him like saying on a wire or whatever when they were surveilling him for you know over two years um, they go, oh, when Barry said he wanted to restore the constitutional republic, that's no different than ISIS saying they want to restore caliphate. And I'm like, what? And then he goes, yeah. And he talks about the founding fathers and the constitution, which is a myth. That's what the U.S. prosecutor said, Nils Kessler. And it's like, wait, I'm sorry, sir. Did, didn't you take an oath to protect and defend that constitution that you're now calling a myth? But people like aren't paying attention to this stuff, so they don't hear it and see it. You don't understand, Christina. It's a living, breathing document, and that means it means whatever they want it to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I 
it's, it's just it shows you the absolute contempt that they have, though, for people who actually do care about the Constitution. They have it in those courtrooms. And Barry told me his lawyer said, don't you mention the Constitution, you know, because his lawyer asked him if he wanted to make a statement in his sentencing, you know. And uh, Barry said, yeah, you know, I want to talk about the Constitution. And this is Barry. Like, that's his personality. He is huge on the Constitution. He's sort of like a boomer conservative, like you were saying. You know, he would go around in a tricorn hat and try to talk to people about the founding fathers and like the the Federalist Papers and that's just how he is, you know. Then you have a, people like me and Brandon who are like, we don't want the government to exist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Barry loves like the the idea of America, you know, or, yeah. or how it was it how our, our founding fathers intended it to be. And that was his big thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just is is stunning to me though that like that they're like, Oh yeah, that's what makes him dangerous, you know. It's like the the fact that he you know, wore a tricorn hat. They tried to use that against him. He has We the People tattooed on his arm and they're like, oh yeah, that's like gang stuff. Like what? He has a three percenter symbol on his hand, tattooed on his hand. And they actually were saying that that's gang affiliation. And that gets into another aspect of this, of this case and how it's being used. The state cases are even crazier. So, um, this is probably so convoluted and hard for people to follow that aren't yeah. familiar with this. I know I was just talking about one thing and moving on to it's another. A, it, it's okay. I have like, to come back to it. I want to go back to We have to be able to talk. It, we mean you have gone so deep and I know you've gone even deeper than me. It, it is hard. And I don't know. I, I like to think that a normal intelligent individual can follow along with us, but if you can't, yeah. I've done plenty of work. Uh, there's a whole playlist. If you're watching my channel, I know you have as well on your channel. So, yes. and I would actually suggest her, her content over mine, especially the, the uh, thing, but I will say this is like such an undercovered thing. I th- oh, I yeah. want to say say it was like me, you, and like one other person that were the only people who had Brandon on for initially. And it, mm-hmm. and I'm just some dude. I don't even have two thousand. I mean, I probably will by the time this comes out because I mean this will be after Timcast. I'm sure I'll get some boost. I'm almost at two thousand, but I'm not even at two thousand subs. And I was one of the only people who had Brandon on. And it took so long before other people got him on. And I would say probably. I don't know. What do you think? He's been on like 10 shows since he's been on like our yeah, other shows. And it's and like, ours? are you kidding? This should be the biggest story of like yeah. the next couple of years. And the reason why it's so important and like I've spent so much time and my own money on this is because the government themselves called this the biggest DT case in a generation. All right. So this is their big terrorism case and it's all bullshit. DT domestic go- terrorism for yeah. people. Go on. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't want to get you like yeah. your channel flag. No, no, I don't give. To... I don't give a shit. Okay, <laughs> I've um, had strikes. I'm, I'm, I'm good right now. I'm just still in a warning. If I get strike, whatever. You know. Okay, I just, yeah, I just try to like <laughs> self censor like that and use yeah. abbreviations. I mean, yeah, don't they go said... super hard in the paint, but like okay. you know, I don't. You just talk normal. <laughs> yeah, they said this was the biggest domestic terror case in a generation. So that shows you like the importance that they put on this, right? This is their big domestic terror case. And we know also that they've been intending to launch a domestic war on terror. Uh, you've seen how they go after one side more than the other, like people that are protesting outside of an abortion clinic. You know, now the FBI is going to raid their house. Parents that are upset about drag queen story hour, you know, and attend uh, their school board meetings. They're now being called domestic terrorists and maybe having a database made about them. We don't know. Uh, but things like that, you know, yeah, I think people are seeing since, that. 
I'm sorry. And this yeah. has been telegraphed since the Obama administration and before. Very much in the Obama administration, they tried to make it a priority. It didn't really float well politically, but it's definitely also been a priority in prior in prior times, obviously, like OKC, but like on a lesser degree, uh, not mm-hmm. so much like a, something they were like. Uh, this is like a mask off thing is when the mask kind of came off is like Obama administration, but it didn't really fly with the people. And then probably around the end of the Trump to the Biden one is now when it's really starting to kick in. But Yeah, and I think it's because they have people so polarized that people look at it as long as it's happening to the other side, they say, oh, I don't care. They probably deserve it. You know, they don't really bother to look into it. That's been at least my um, my experience when I've been trying to talk about this case to people on the other side of the aisle they have this understanding like on uh, they'll say out of one side of their mouth that the fbi you know um racially profiles muslims and frames them for things they didn't do but then like oh if it's white guys working class white guys we're just automatically going to believe the fbi's story because we happen to think that there's all these right-wing white supremacist domestic terrorists hiding under every rock so like we want to they want to believe that that's true And so if they see a story like this, their automatic assumption is that the guys did it, they're guilty, or even if they didn't do it, and even if the FBI was doing some misconduct, they still deserve it because they have bad opinions. And that is really what a lot of this stuff was. You know, these guys were being investigated over memes or things like that. You know, Barry, um, so first of all, for the federal case, there were six guys charged, Ty Garbin, Caleb Franks, Adam Fox, Barry Croft, Brandon Caserta, Daniel Harris. Um, Adam and Barry were the, the two that the government kind of said were the main guys, right? Um, Adam Fox, they called the ringleader. He was the guy living in the basement of the vac shack, yeah. you know, was that was clearly homeless. the target from the beginning. But yeah. Yeah, right. Well, actually, Barry was. Barry was the target from the beginning. Barry lived in Delaware. He was a truck driver. He's got three daughters that he was raising uh, without help from their mother. So Barry is driving around the country as a trucker. He's seeing everything that's happening, and he just kind of wants to do some firearms training. You know, he somehow meets up with the guys from Michigan. I believe it was on Facebook, and it was through an FBI informant. That introduce them. So at every turn, it's like the FBI is introducing people. And one of the things I found out, I want, you know, I guess I can talk about it, but the FBI had in mind like people they wanted to target. They had a database of people that basically were engaged in wrong think that for whatever reason they wanted to target and they were giving the informants access to that database. And that's how the informants were figuring out who to target and what groups to infiltrate. So um, Steve Robeson, we talked about him briefly. He was one of the informants, one of the main informants, um, probably as uh, crucial to the case as Dan Chappell, who was the main informant and became number two of the Wolverine Watchmen. He was, you know, a, uh, a vote was held and they wanted to make him their commanding officer, like their leader. He said, oh, no, I don't want to be the leader of the group. So he became second in command, but he was effectively the, the leader. He was the one doing all of their, um, you know, defensive firearms training and stuff like that, running what they were calling yeah. FTXs. That stands for field training exercise. That was all done by Dan, who was working for the government. 
So yeah. Steve Robeson is the other main informant and uh, his story is a little interesting. He was made an informant and I've seen documents to back this up. I'm not making this up. I can prove it and I will in the documentary. Steve Robeson was made an informant in 2019. I think it was October of 2019. He has a, a history as a career criminal um, going back many years. He worked for the feds in the 80s at one point in, with a biker gang case. So there's that history, but he's also a convicted pedophile. The FBI kept that information from the public. They actually hid it from his criminal record. So when he was infiltrating militia groups, they were they would run background checks on this guy. And that wasn't showing up on their background checks. So the FBI hid it. But moreover, yep. they hid it from themselves. This is another thing that needs to be seriously investigated. I've seen uh, Steve Robeson's CHS file, right? So CHS stands for Confidential Human Source. It's the hit. That's what the FBI calls their informants, confidential human sources. So he has a CHS case file. They mention all of his criminal charges, except the pedophilia one. So they're concealing that information from their own documents. Yeah, no, it's it's so scummy, the level that the, the feds are willing to go to. They really are a ends justify the means to them, and their ends aren't even valiant ends. So this... The funny thing is that's not actually not really funny. I guess it's a bad way to put it. But I have actually heard – I wish I could remember the exact one. But in my OKC one, I was actually – I've been reviewing it all in preparation for TimCast. I'm kind of hoping – I mean, obviously, when this comes out, hopefully, you know, I will have been able to. I'm hoping to be able to intersplice some of that conversation in there. But there was a, a – one of the characters involved, I can't remember which – uh, you know, R Richard Booth brought up, there was an individual, and I'm sure this isn't even a unique thing. They have literally expunged uh, or gotten people off the hook for things like pedophilia before so they can go in what even, whatever endeavor they are they are wanting to get to, which is, once again, the carrot and the stick. That that was the stick of, hey, you're, you're looking down this the barrel of this gun right here. Uh, we can make this go away, or we can make it a, your worst nightmare. Um, and we can also uh, enrich you monetarily as well. So in yeah. this, they have done worse than what you were, were even mentioning. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So, like this sounds, I'm sure maybe some normies might come over here from some watching this uh, from, you know, like I said, you know, hopefully this will get an influx in this episode. Uh, it might be blowing some people's minds, but this is, the FBI is not to be trusted in any way. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So if anything, I feel like when you see something like FBI this, you almost should immediately have a gut gut feeling of the opposite of whatever. I'm not saying assert that, but be like, all right, and work backward from there. <laughs> Just, yeah, investigate it. Exactly, which is sort yeah. of what I did here. I never intended to be making a documentary about this case. I had no idea I would even get in touch with the defendants. I was literally just writing about it, covering it, doing some videos about it. And then it ended up you know, I, I guess one day I got in touch with Brandon, sent him my articles, showed him, hey, this is what I've been writing on, writing about for two years now. And this has been like what I've seen. And I want to talk to you about it. And I've been interviewing Brandon and then just kind of in, in my conversations with him realized that like, yeah, this is so much bigger than what is understood by the public. They know so little about the case. There was so much I didn't even know after even following it for two years, looking at all of the motions filed by the defense, 
seeing all of the evidence that showed these guys were innocent and all of the evidence of government misconduct, there's still so much more that people don't know about because it's either under protective seal or it, they just weren't able to get it in and, and it wasn't talked about. It wasn't publicized. So, um, yeah, th this is like it's so weird how this stuff happens. And now I'm talking to all of almost all of these guys that yeah. were framed by the government and the way that they do it is so shady. So yeah. Steve I, Robeson re real quick before mm -hmm. we go on, I want to say, I think it's a good time to mention it for anyone watching this, anyone new, I don't know what people are going to watch this. Brandon will go on any show. Brandon, be, Brand Brandon Caserta. He's one of the guys he got off completely Scott for not Scott free. They fucked him over for a long period of time. Uh, you know, that's, which is the funny thing. And he's not going to probably ever see any money back from that, from the time they took from him, the money he lost, et cetera, et cetera. But he, no, he beat the we're, charge. We're but, not going to stop until yeah. some kind of restitution is made. He needs to sue them for violating his civil yep. rights. Um, that's super important. If there's any lawyers out there that are watching, get involved. If you can reach out to Brandon, he'll talk to you. He has a massive case against the government because y'all don't even know half of the kind of things that they were doing. Yes. I'm saving like the, the most egregious stuff to come out in the documentary. So I'm not giving yeah. all of the information out here of the, the kinds of things I've seen. It would blow your mind though. And the yeah. other thing is that in order to get some of this information, you have to start peeling back the bureaucracy. So we need people that are our elected officials, our Republican politicians that are on the House Oversight Committee to investigate what the FBI did in this case, because there's so much stuff that I'm sure they're hiding. I believe it was I believe there's a lot that is being hidden and that they don't want people to see. And so let's talk about the state case real quick. And real quick. Even even mm -hmm. face value. No, uh, sorry. Yeah. I just okay. want to make a point. Once you understand this case, once you look into it, even just at a at a, you know, do the slightest bit of investigation, the case is beyond paper thin, beyond paper thin. And that's not even to go into some of the crazy other aspects where it gets kind of, you know, disgusting, malicious, whatever, you know, bad word you want to apply to it. But just, just at a face value, the, just the case against these people, there's nothing like nothing of substance, nothing. <laughs> like, no, what they did was the government got these guys drunk and stoned and then recorded them all talking crap. You know, there's like one part of this that was played like a piece of audio that was played at trial where you know, Adam Fox is stoned and he's drunk and he's saying, you know, that bitch Whitmer, we're going to fly her over the lake on a kite, you know, and it's like, okay, this obviously isn't serious. Um, this is not serious talk. And then at one point he's like, yeah, we can get some Blackhawk helicopters and come and deer the airspace. And it's like, it, you, it sounds like he's talking about a plot from like a Hollywood movie. Adam, by the way, is incredibly autistic. I, I'm surprised and shocked that his lawyer did not have him tested for autism because it's very clear that he he suffers from it, which I think is what made him so susceptible to be manipulated by these FBI informants. But he's super big on Hollywood movies. He can tell you all this weird trivia, dates, um, all this weird facts about these old movies. So 
when he said stuff like that, it's like you kind of have to know his history and the kind of person he is and why he might say something like that. He's not serious. He's not actually talking about commandeering Blackhawk helicopters and the airspace, securing the airspace with a group of six guys. Like it's not physically possible. It was never going to happen. It wasn't serious. He's trying to impress Dan Chappell, who told him, you know, that he was an Iraq war veteran who was part of the, the elite team of people that rescued Chris Kyle. So Adam is trying to appeal to this man who he literally calls dad, who he mm -hmm. sees as a father figure to him. And that's the super insidious part about mm -hmm. this. So sad. That you have people working for the FBI, these informants who will befriend you and then manipulate you and try to get you to do things. And like he... They'll get you to trust them. And it's a period, it, it happens slowly over, you know, months and just tell people you're, you're special, Adam, blah, blah, blah. Hey, Adam, draw a picture of uh, the governor's lake house on this piece of paper for me. Adam is so, he's so naive. He doesn't understand what's happening. He just drew some like chicken scratch on the paper and gave it to the guy. Dan puts it in his pocket and gives it to the FBI. Here, we got him to do a map. You know, that wasn't Adam's idea. There were yeah. things like where um, they the government took these guys on like a night recon, you know, to to do a recon of the governor's house or something or her vacation cottage. Adam is in the vehicle with three government agents. He's in the back seat. He's not even driving. He's being driven by the feds. They go loop around. He didn't even know where they were going. They had some app pulled up. They were trying to find the address. Didn't even have the address. He was lured there because they said they were going to, uh, I forget what it was, but it, it was probably another time that they lured him with, you know, uh, we're going to get hot wings and beer. And he's a homeless guy. So he's like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, this is what they do and how they prey on people. Yeah. So they tell him to get out of the uh, vehicle and pose under the bridge, like with two guns like this. So he being the naive guy that he is gets out of the car, poses under the bridge like this. He's got a uh, UCE red. Who's an undercover FBI agent standing next to him as they're under the bridge, taking the pictures of him like this. And then they tell him the FBI informant, Dan, who he thinks is like his mentor goes, Hey, post that in the encrypted group chat, that picture. So they're going to use this as evidence against him later to say, Oh, he wanted to blow up that bridge and look at him standing there with guns under the bridge. And it's like, Y'all told rich. him to do that. It wasn't his idea. You know, yeah. you guys just wanted to have something that looked bad. So Dan Chappell also had suggested numerous criminal acts to Adam that he turned down. Adam Fox was upset about the lockdowns, and he did say some pretty offensive stuff when he was drunk and stoned. But what the government isn't isn't showing you, and this is why when you really go through their evidence that they presented, none of it tracks or makes sense. It's random stuff, right? So they'll go back some, seven years on your internet history. They'll find the most offensive shit you've ever said online, memes. They call them photo captioned images. And then they put together, like literally construct a narrative. And what they were doing, they had these informants get these guys drunk and stoned and then ask them hypotheticals. Hey, hypothetically speaking, you know, 
if we were going to kidnap the governor, like, how would we do that? And so Adam would be like, oh, yeah, we'd have to take out her security detail, you know, this and that. Like, he's stoned. He's drunk. He doesn't even know what he's saying. Then they'll take that one clip out of context and play a minute and 17 seconds of it where it sounds like he's saying something real bad and like, but there's no actual like steps that he was taking to carry this out. In fact, you see the opposite happening. You see people leaving the group. And then you have like Jason Chambers, the lead FBI agent texting the informant saying, hey, I want you to maximize attendance at this event. I want you to try to get Brandon to show up for this. Uh, so the FBI is the one setting up the night recon, the survey, you know, driving by the governor's house. That was all the FBI. There, like at no point was Gretchen Whitmer ever in danger. In fact, they had set up a pool cam at her vacation cottage because they wanted to get these idiots driving by. You know, they set up literally like a Hollywood production to try to make this a thing. When they did their little night recon, Barry was told they were doing land navigation training. So he thought this was part of like the militia training or something. He lives in Delaware. Here's the other question that was never asked or answered during this. Why does Barry want to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer? He doesn't live in Michigan. Like what's his motivation for it? They claim that the guys were mad about like the lockdown mandates. Okay, Barry lives in Delaware. He is a different governor and different rules. Like, why does he care about what Whitmer's doing? He's a truck driver. He goes all through the country. Like, he's not even home most of the time. He's out traveling. Why would he care about Gretchen Whitmer? And they go, oh, well, these guys were just so radicalized. They just wanted to kill politicians. And they didn't care who. Well, if that's the case, Barry met with Doug Mastriano like at one point at in Pennsylvania at some Gettysburg thing, he like he takes a picture with him. Barry's armed. You know, he's he's carrying a firearm during that time. If he wanted to kill politicians, he could have done it then. He didn't do it. He smiled and took a picture with the guy. So like none of their narrative just it just doesn't make sense. How about this? If Barry is a co-conspirator with these guys in a conspiracy to kidnap and kill the governor, where's the phone calls between them there's no communications between barry and his co-defendants uh he was not in any of the encrypted group chats but they call him the spiritual leader of this really really yeah. no i think it was the fbi that was the <laughs> spiritual leader and kept trying to tell people to do criminal acts uh dan chapel Told Spiritual Adam and literal leader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So here's another thing. And, you know, I know this is going all over the place, but mm -hmm. I think people will be able to put it together. Just watch, you know, his prior videos on this. Watch my prior videos of this. You can read my articles. I was literally transcribing word for word what was being said during those trial, like at trial, because I wanted to kind of document everything. And I was sitting there for hours at my desk, like, just typing as I was listening in, literally like transcribing it. So I don't know how I did that. Like that was insane, but I have that. It's on my sub stack. Y'all can look at my articles and my notes. I have you must like have a good Adderall supply <laughs> of notes. No, I'm like literally autistic also, but like in a good yeah. way, not like yeah. really, but like when I get interested in something, I can focus on it. And it's like, this is, you know, the thing I want to solve the case, right? Like, I want to know what really happened. And I start to figure it out. And I'm like, oh, I'm not giving up until like, I figure yeah. this entire thing out. 
and I'm not giving up until Barry and Adam are home with their families where they deserve to be. And really, I think the FBI should be brought up on criminal charges. The three lead agents that were in, involved in this that all have allegations of misconduct. Jason Chambers, Henrik Impala, Richard Trask. All of you, I'm calling you guys out. Charles Story, the FBI agent who signed off on a terrorism enterprise investigation. You've just been called out. Uh, Christopher Long, the FBI agent that was tailing Barry for two years. I just called you out too. You're all scum and you guys broke the law and you should be prosecuted criminally for it. Uh, Barry was under surveillance for over a year before the Wolverine Watchmen investigation even began. And I'm, just to give you guys an idea of the resources that were devoted oh, yeah. to this stuff, $6 million for a TEI investigation. Uh, Barry's being followed around with a drone flying 7,000 feet above. So you can't even see it in the sky. That's how high up it is. Just tailing him as he's driving his truck around the country for an entire year, committing no crimes, taking his kids to school, going grocery shopping at Walmart. They've got agents tailing him, physical surveillance in 72-hour shifts. It's like, what are you guys doing? You're spending all of this money on somebody because you didn't like that he criticized you on Facebook or something. This guy doesn't do anything. You, you see him, he works, and then he's home with his kids. And then you say, hey, Steve Robeson, our informant, you go get this guy and then try to introduce him to these guys in Michigan. Tell him that he can attend some defensive firearms training and hang out with some patriots, you know. And Boomer Barry is like, oh, yeah, you know. I love patriots. I can talk about the Constitution. And then you just walk this guy into 20 years in prison for literally nothing. Nothing. Yeah. I, I, I want to, I think, because I think that the purpose when I when I set this up with you is I knew there was going to be a boost. So I wanted to give a chance to boost your documentary. And I also wanted to just Thank you. I appreciate expand. That. I wanted to, to introduce this idea to new people. because I knew there were going to be new people. So... I, I think one of the best aspects to focus on there's, there's this and one other thing, and I'll tell you after we cover this, and then I want to get into your documentary a little bit. But I, what I really want to hit on, I think this because you know we're kind of touching, hitting on the heartstrings a little bit. And I think it really shows the level of depravity. Let's talk about Adam Fox because I know you said Barry kind of was the guy that they hit on first, and it is ridiculous. Like, dude probably shared a few boog memes, and so then they're like, Oh my god, he's clearly a terrorist. And you know, lo and behold, he's just a normal dude, like you know, probably everyone else who shares boog memes. But with Adam Fox, I really think it's like he became the ultimate patsy in a way. And yeah. I, I, I just want you to lay out kind of who he was, his story, kind of the, the, his life at the moment, and then like kind of how they exploit him because it's just like yeah. i mean this is a little bit of a spoiler of what you're about to say but he literally was like in an awful situation had like no friends just like just sh shitty time in his life and this group of people come in to act as his friends be his support system and they're literally all fucking informants all yeah. just trying to screw his life over and you know and it's it's just sad like they just pray on the week because it's a target to them and yeah and, and even despite that because you'll see in some informant things once thing once again terror factory trevor aronson go check that book out it, it, th this is a common thing they will prey on people in the situation and but there's usually a lot of times it's kind of like to some extent you can understand because you're like okay but this guy was like legitimately you guys gave him this 
this, you know, munition or ammo, whatever. And he was literally going to go do this thing. I mean, you gave him all the means, gave him everything. I mean, yes, you did exploit him at a really low time in his life where he might be actually willing to do that. Whereas if he wasn't in a low time in his life, he might not be, be willing to. But mm -hmm. Adam, despite being at the lowest point in his life, he actually was not willing to do these things. And they still tried to hem him up. And that's like the most disgusting part of it. Because there's like, it's, it's already so kind of gross to do that to someone at their, that point in their life, even if they actually do. You know, you give them all the means, all the money, everything, and allow them to do it, and they actually try to go forward with it. Like, there is some argument where you're like, okay, well, they were going to do it. But, like, yeah, but you gave them every opportunity to do it. But now with someone where you gave them every opportunity to do it and they actually and they didn't do it, no. it's just so gross. Yeah, so. so I'll talk a little bit about Adam Fox. You know, he is he was a man who at this point in his life – uh, he was going through a really, really hard time. Um, he is, I, I believe he is autistic. Uh, so I think he already has sort of problems with social, social settings and, and picking up on social cues, right? Um, at this point, he's, I think, divorced from his wife. And he's the kind of guy that just said, you know, give her everything. Give her the house, whatever. This is why he was living in the basement of the vac shack. It was because he had just gone through this breakup. Um, he's at a really low point in his life, doesn't have a lot of friends. His own father didn't really take an interest in him. So, you know, he he's kind of like he's a working class guy. He doesn't have a lot. He's in this vulnerable position of being homeless. You know, he if he wanted to brush his teeth, he had to go to the Mexican restaurant next door. He would just go to the gym and play with his dog. You know, uh, he would shower at the gym because he didn't have a shower at the basement of the vac shack, you know, and so all he had was that dog, um, you know, and you know how it is like when you're vulnerable and you're kind of down on your luck, your friends, uh, your fair weather friends will kind of abandon you. So the only people that are around are people who really care about you. And it's not like that your mom can visit you all the time or something like that. So this is somebody who is, you know, he's in a very vulnerable spot and then the lockdowns happen and they exacerbate things and they make it harder for, you know, people to gain employment or maybe it, it's harder for you to carry out your job because certain things are shut down and you think that's unconstitutional. Then you start seeing these other things happening, the riots and stuff like that. And you get a little bit concerned. And I think that's where Adam was. You know, he didn't, he wasn't somebody that was ever part of a militia group prior to this. Like he, he was trying to learn how to like use firearms, but he certainly wasn't really good. He didn't have really like professional gear, like some of the other guys. And so I think what happened and, and I haven't confirmed this yet, but I believe what happened is that Adam was already on their radar because of things he was saying on Facebook. And to just put this out here for people who don't understand one of the things that came out documented fact at trial, the uh, government was operating groups on Facebook and individual accounts. So they have an entire office of the FBI dedicated to that. Um, I know people are probably that are watching this are probably familiar with the Twitter files. And you've seen how the FBI was using Twitter to suppress information and, and that they had contacts there. Well, at Facebook's a little bit different. Um, they were running and administering group pages for militia groups, right? So like national three percenters, you know, who was an administrator of that group, Jenny Plunk, an FBI informant out of Tennessee in this case. Steve Robeson was like the 
Wisconsin three percenter. He created a fake three percenters group that, again, this was the government created this group. They Twitter, created many Twitter, groups. Twitter is probably actually, uh, obviously before the Elon thing, was actually, even despite all that, probably one of the best mainstream platforms in comparison to the other ones uh that's you know so like i because I, I had left facebook a while ago that's actually what moved me over to twitter because facebook was awful just like censored out the ass so it didn't surprise me at all that the feds were up there to the wazoo yeah and it does it's not surprising at all that it's i think it's my opinion that it, they probably infiltrated facebook far more than they did twitter <laughs> but yeah, yeah and moreover like i said they gave steve robeson one of the fbi informants who was a convicted pedophile and a career criminal they gave him a database of people they wanted to target so a lot of that information probably came from facebook because a lot of these guys were on facebook and they were posting memes and stuff on facebook so i think that's what was happening the FBI, like we don't, they, we know that they had a database that they were giving the informants access to. We don't know anything about the database though. What was the criteria for being placed in the database? Are you and I in this database because of the things we talk about? We just don't know. We need to get access to that and find out, is it even constitutional? Right. Um, but so I think that that's, they were using Facebook to find, Hey, these are people we want to target. And uh, the other thing that they would do, um, so some of these people befriended Adam on Facebook, but then Adam shows up to a, um, a rally at the capital of Michigan, Lansing. The Wolverine Watchmen are there with Dan Chappell leading them. He's an FBI informant. He's wearing a wire. He's talking to the FBI in real time. Adam's there, separate. He, he doesn't know the Watchmen at this point. Um, but I think what happened was they saw him there. He was photographed there. They probably saw him in Facebook and said, Hey, this is going to be our fall guy. And they even admit, I mean, Dan Chapel says in messages that Adam is, uh, like gullible, you know, like, uh, he'll do what we tell him to do. He's saying that to like the FBI, um, so this was the person I think they had identified as like, this guy's going to be our ultimate patsy. Um, but so the FBI, when the guys showed up for this rally, uh, this anti-lockdown rally at the Capitol, Dan Chappell tells the FBI, hey, I think these guys might do something. The FBI uh, calls the uh, Michigan Capitol Police and says, hey, guys, stand down and like open up the doors to the Capitol and let everybody in there. So there are pictures of the Wolverine Watchmen inside the Capitol um, armed. The media took those pictures. They spread all over the place. They said things like um, militia group storms the Capitol, occupies the Capitol. No, nothing violent occurred. But they got that photo op, right, of beginning to try to paint these guys as like terrorists when they weren't. Um, they were, just happened to be there. The doors were open. They went through COVID screening to get in. They were polite to everybody. Adam was there that day, though, and I think that's when they kind of first honed in on him. And then Dan Chapel reaches out to him. There's a, a woman on Facebook named Elise that was actually an FBI operative pretending to be a woman named Elise that was working him there. Um, his own girlfriend at some point might have became an informant. We don't know. Uh, but there's high suspicion that that's what happened. Her name is Amanda Keller. And so this poor guy, you know, these informants befriend him and uh, they say, hey, we're going to bring him to the field training exercise. The other guys in the group, 
they didn't really like him. Like he didn't fit in with them. They didn't want him around. Ty Garvin, who was one of the, the first guy that took a plea deal, he referred to Adam Fox as Captain Autism. You know, so this is a person who was in a very vulnerable place. And then Dan Chappell makes contact with him and tells him, hey, you're special. You know, actually, I want you to come to these trainings. You're really talented. You're a leader. We need you. And I'm the level of communication. We have the records, thousands of phone calls, text messages every single day between Dan and Adam. He's in this guy's ear trying to push him to do things. And just to make it clear so people don't uh, get this confused. Dan Chappell, working for the FBI, would suggest things to Adam like, hey, you know, why don't we shoot a couple rounds in the governor's home just to show them, you know, that like, this is the shit that the FBI was coming up with. And Adam said no. Then he said, how about we put some Tannerite in her uh, driveway and then we shoot it to blow it up? That'll teach them. Hey, how about we attack her security detail? And Adam was like, no. I don't think that's a good idea, but this is like the, the government, they said, oh, well, he was only suggesting that as de-escalation. How is that de-escalating? You know, these guys were talking about creating like a constitutional school. They wanted to like mint silver. They bought a smelting machine. That's the kinds of stuff that they were actually interested in. Then no one was interested in kidnapping the governor. The yeah, informants uh, kept suggesting it and they kept turning it down. Yeah, what you just alluded to is kind of what, or what you just said is what I was alluding to earlier with how they operate a lot of times with these informants, where, and what kind of makes it even more distinct of why it's so disgusting with these guys, and Adam Fox in particular, is they will completely give them all whatever you know, materials they need to carry out an act and they will also give them the plans and but then you will there will it's not uncommon this is extremely frequent uh there's so many examples of this where and then some individual typically some hapless individual down their luck and they will actually carry it out and but like and don't get me wrong not good that's a bad thing to do but you have to bear like have the context of like Literally, all they did was do the act. Everything else was done with them for them. They didn't have to put forth any brain power, any any put any money towards yeah. it, anything. Like all, literally, they were just completely laying out for any. And a lot of times, they would like be like, "Oh, we'll we'll just we'll give you a loan, and don't worry about paying it back." Or what? It's it's just so disgusting. But it makes it even more disgusting when the individuals are like, "No," and they still fuck them. They said, <laughs> "Yeah." So like. They said no numerous times. There were other guys that said no too. Like, um, we're we're not effing black bagging politicians. No way. We're we're not offensive. We're defensive. They even had in there like their little rules for their group that they created that specifically said we are defensive. We train people in defensive use of force. You know how to protect yourself, your community, your family. That was what they. In their minds, that's what they understood a militia to be, is a group of people that could protect their communities. They were seeing these riots and fires and looting, and they're like, hey, the police won't come. There is no police response. You know, they were seeing this stuff happen, and they said, well, it's our job to protect our own communities and to be able to protect our neighbors if they need it or ourselves. If somebody comes to our home and tries to hurt our family, 
We need to be able to protect our family. That's why they were doing medical training. They were teaching people how to tie tourniquets, how to dress a wound. Um, it was sort of like kind of survivalist stuff, like prepper stuff too, you know, things like that that were just kind of useful things that you would think that you would know. So for someone like Brandon Caserta, he was never a member of the Wolverine Watchmen. He met a group of people online. He was interested in firearms training. By the way, the training that they offered, the FBI conducted the training. The, the feds were training these guys. That kind of training, it, people pay thousands of dollars for, okay? And it was offered to them for free. They would do barbecues. They would say, hey, invite your family. These were actually family-friendly events. People would bring their spouses and their kids. The kids would be running around swimming in a pool. These field training exercises were conducted on private property. It was actually legal defensive firearms training for I, a fact. I, That's I just, what happened. This just like kind of put a light bulb off in my head. Um, this is such a great example of anarcho-tyranny, which I don't know if you've ever heard of this concept. It's the idea is I, I'm an anarchist. I'm an anarcho-capitalist is what I'd consider myself. And I can go more specific in the labels. I don't really care to lay them all out. But I actually don't necessarily think anarchy, depending on its brand, is necessarily a bad thing. But anarcho-tyranny is the idea of, you know, bear in mind the context here. This is peak riots, peak lockdowns, peak like all this stuff. And these people were like, hey, like you said, the cops aren't doing what they're supposed to. So we're going to be here as something to protect our community, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea of anarcho-tyranny is the idea of when it's like, you know, when crimes, like crazy stuff, like, uh, you know, riots, whatever happens, the state will just sit back and let it happen and not really do anything. But God forbid you defend yourself. You are likely the one to be in the crosshairs of the state. And yes. that, that is exactly, this is such a perfect example. Obviously they didn't intend to do it, but you know, this is the effect of it is they, these were people who are picking up the slack or in their minds, picking up the slack of the state of what the state is intended in theory to do. I mean, they never end up doing it. So that's why I'm an anarchist, but uh, yeah. And, and they get, they get to the book thrown at them for it. So yeah, I just exactly. thought, was an thought. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and that's but they they were able to get like uh pictures and audio and video of these guys kind of running around looking scary, wearing plate carriers and carrying, you know, like AK 47s or something and running around oh, like doing some do? training. <laughs> right, right. Like uh, they wanted to make it look like, hey, look, look at these guys, they're scary. So you should convict them on a conspiracy to kidnap and kill Gretchen and Whitmer, even though the, no, there's like nothing of them talking about it, but look at this scary thing, and then listen to this person drunk saying something stupid completely out of context you know and that's how they strung this thing together but the more you pull at each individual piece the more you learn how crazy it was and that that's not at all what happened and so it just i mean it's it's upsetting to me so adam fox like they wanted to, they they knew and this isn't text messages between the informant and one of the handling agents jason chambers dan says five five months into their investigation official investigation it actually began prior to march of 2020 but that's when they officially document the start of the investigation five months into it dan texts his FBI handler and says, there's no plan here. These guys are wasting my time. So they admit that five months into this investigation that you're spending millions of dollars on, there's no plan. Nobody wants to do anything. And these guys are wasting your time. So the FBI says, well, then you need to like push them to come up with the plan, you know, and that's what they were doing. FBI informants were pushing people to come up with a plan 
And they would have these meetings where informants would say really crazy shit. You had like, uh, they wanted to uh, get Frank Butler, who was a, a 60 year old disabled Vietnam veteran in Virginia to kill Ralph Northam. The FBI sent him instructions for how to build a bomb with Drano and like sugar and some other household items, and then told him to double the recipe. He could have killed himself, like had he tried to make this, and thank God he didn't. So he hasn't been arrested. But he was at one of these meetings and they would hype these guys up. You know, these informants would do crazy talk. And then other people would kind of be like, yeah, fuck that bitch. You know, someone should shoot her. It would be stuff like that, you know, where these it's just guys like doing sort of like locker room talk after they've been given marijuana and alcohol. And so their inhibitions are loosened and then they've been amped up and hyped up by people. But there's no actual steps that were taken in furtherance of a criminal conspiracy. All you have is First Amendment activity and speech that was offensive and people sometimes looking scary because they were engaged in, you know, defensive training. Um, that's what it, it is. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the evidence that was exculpatory that showed where the guy said, I don't want to do this and turned down repeatedly you know, the government suggesting different crimes for them to do, the jury wasn't allowed to see it. Uh, they tried to offer Adam Fox, who's, they remember, he's homeless. He's going to a lot of this stuff because they're giving him beer and like food and spending time with him and telling him he's special. And, you know, for the first time in his life, he feels like he belongs with somebody. He has people that understand him and his beliefs and that, you know, act like they care about him, call him to ask if he's okay, if he needs something, if he's hungry, you know, just imagine what that's like for, it's like if you are, you're starving and somebody offers you food, like, you know, he is starving for that kind of like attention, friendship, whatever. He would have done anything Dan Chapel said, except commit crimes. That was the one thing he said no on, you know, and he told me that like, Dan kept saying, oh, we just need to have something, you know, for our training to focus on. You know, it's not a real plan. This isn't real. But I just want you to have a, something to focus on. And so he would kind of try to play along with it a little bit, but not really to kind of placate Dan. It was things like that. But they offered him $5,000 credit cards because I think what happened was towards the end of this, right before they arrested these guys, they're like, we can't get anyone to, to commit a crime. Like we've tried, we've tried, we've spent $6 million on this, all these resources, we've gotten approval from higher ups at the FBI to pursue this case as a TEI investigation, the highest threat level investigation. We put all this resources into, we gotta have something here. So the government starts offering them $5,000 credit cards and they're trying to encourage the guys to buy gear with it. So they wanted them to make like large purchases of like ammunition or firearms so they could say, look, they were planning. Look, now we can show, look, that see this receipt? They were buying all this ammo and these guns. They were plotting something to get Gretchen Whitmer or whatever. They didn't even get that. The, every single guy turned down the offer of the $5,000 credit cards, which Steve Robeson said, oh, yeah, this is part of a charity I'm running. So it's totally cool for you guys to use this to order gear for training. None of them did it. 
not one. So then they're like, oh, we got to come up with something, you know, we can't even get them to use the credit card. So then they introduce uh, UCE Red, an undercover FBI guy who poses as an explosives expert and tells them he can get them explosives. And none of them buy explosives. None and of them. Still, not they one. still cling on to that. That's like one of their yeah. major points they try to cling on to. And they try their best to try to make something out of that. And it's just, it's pathetic. But they, nobody they, gave nothing. the guy money. Yeah. No one bought the explosives. Yeah. Like he's like, hey guys, I can get you C4 and check out this video. The FBI spent the resources to make a video. Uh, they filmed an SUV exploding. Like they blew up a car, filmed it so they could show Adam hey, this guy Red is an explosives expert and he can get you explosives and look at what he can do. And like Adam like watches the video and is like, what? Like he doesn't want explosives. He doesn't purchase any. It's nuts, but they still do that. And then they claim the, the other. And so this is how their story changes. They said they were trying to purchase explosives, but they got called out on that and proven wrong. So then they backtrack and they say, well, they had an unregistered destructive device. What's that? Well, Barry uh, taped pennies to a firework and then detonated it. And that the pennies could have acted as shrapnel. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what? He put the pennies on it to lay it down because he was trying to make a flashbang. That's what happened. (laughs) And y'all are acting like this. And I'm listening in to this as they're saying this at trial. It's like he went to a store and bought the fireworks legally. And then yeah. he detonated them and taped some pennies onto it. Yeah. It's, this it's is actually- an unregistered destructive device that I can go buy at the store. Just like Tannerite is something you can buy at a store. Like yeah. BBs. Oh, they one of them had BBs or something. And it's like, okay, and or black powder. Like, oh, that means they were going to do something. And it's like, no, Fire he bought musket. the black powder because... <laughs> He was trying to make a reloading machine. He wanted to be able to reload ammunition because ammunition's expensive. Yeah. Like there's a, a legitimate explanation for all of this, but the government is able to pick cherry pick little things and build a narrative that is completely inconsistent with reality. And uh, I'm sure you want to wrap this up real quick. So I, I just to oh, we're, explain we're, it. We're, we can go for probably at least another half hour as long as you have. Um, okay. I mean, or if, if you want it, that's fine. If you want to bounce, but uh, I did want to point out, I, like when I was start digging into this, start reading through your sub stacks and then other, other sources as well. I was actually astounded at the restraint of the, of these individuals and the <laughs> lack of anything there is. Cause like you mentioned with the $5,000 gift cards, like even blows my mind. Like somebody like Adam Fox, who clearly was in a, rough spot didn't just take it and like not spend it like i'm surprised he didn't t- take it and just like use it on other shit or yeah maybe, like buy like, himself some fucking food or like <laughs> some doordash you know <laughs> yeah even then they're like yeah. nope and that wasn't even really that was like the, the lightest of things it is astounding uh there, there's a couple more things i wanted to touch on because you know once again bearing in mind i think the audience that may come into this yes. i think they might be interested in the january 6th stuff you oh, brought yeah. up Jason Chambers. There's a connection there, isn't there? I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like, and I, I be, like, do, are, have you looked into this? I, I, I or no? No. Okay. So okay. I thought there was. Uh, we'll get to that. I just yeah. want to explain to somebody the way that, like, how put it this way, right? Say that uh, 
you have a tool shed in your house, right? And uh, you're working on some project, right? So maybe you have uh, some nails, a hammer, a glue gun, whatever kind. You're working on a project in your tool shed. You're a man, right? And you're you're married. Um, you get into a fight with your wife and you say something to her like, I'm so mad at you. Like, uh, I don't ever want to see you again. You know, something like that. And then you storm out and then you realize that like, oh, I need a hammer to finish that project I'm working on in the shed. So then you go to the store and you buy a hammer. Um, the government then says that you were conspiring to kill your wife. And th they say, hey, look, listen to this clip here. He says to her, I never want to see you again. And then look, he goes to the store and he buys a hammer. Look at this video of him in the store buying the hammer. He was going to kill her. He wanted to do it. And now and he's it's at like, Paul Pelosi's house. <laughs> yeah. So, it, but, but if you didn't That's have funny. the full context of like why he went to the store and bought the hammer and like that it was for something unrelated, you might look at that and go, oh my God, he did say he didn't want to see her again. He yelled at her, he even slammed the door and then he went and bought a hammer. Maybe he did like for the person who doesn't have context, like you could see how one thing that is innocent could be made to look nefarious. Right. So I just wanted to use that as an example to maybe help people understand like how easy it is really for the government to and for anybody to take little bits of pieces of something completely innocent and innocuous and frame it in a way that it looks like menacing or it looks really bad. Um, but just imagine that that's something that could happen to you because this is something that could happen to you. Like Brandon, you could walk into an active TEI investigation because you got invited to do some defensive firearms and medical training. It could be that simple, like, and have your life destroyed. Brandon spent 18 months in prison before he was acquitted. He lost his job. He lost his apartment. They tore his vehicle to pieces and he lost his his name, his reputation. He's had trouble getting employment. I mean, that follows you around, that stigma of just how the media slandered him also. And I want people to to understand that that could literally happen to any of us. That's why we have to care about this case. That's why we have to talk about it. That's why we have to expose it, because it it, it was something that it literally could happen to you. And it could be that kind of situation of just little things you've done over a year, cherry picked, strung together into a false narrative to paint a completely different picture of you than who you really are. Yeah, no, uh, Brandon became like the poster boy of this stuff. And he, uh, th like, that was my impression before I even dug into it, is they would yeah. point to pictures of him. And it's funny how the media worked. Initially, it was people like, oh, there's some Antifa bullshit. Look at this guy with these tattoos and these gauges and blah, 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 blah. And then it became, nope, no, he's a right-wing domestic terrorist. Like, look at him. Like, yeah. uh, he's clearly, like, look at him. He's clearly, oh, you can tell, like, look at him. He's probably a white supremacist. And it, it's just it's just such yeah, nonsense. Yeah, because he, he's a, a metalhead. You know, he likes metal music and stuff like that. So he's got tattoos on his neck, on his hands. He has big gauged ears. He just looks like he could be a scary guy, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So he Super looked nice the guy. part. <laughs> he's a teddy bear. Oh, he's going to get yeah. so mad at me for saying that. <laughs> he could be big scary too. Um, but he looks scary, you know, and that was like the image that they really wanted to. And you're right. There were people on the right who rushed to condemn him as like Antifa or whatever. And that wasn't true. And then the leftists that rushed to condemn him as like a right wing white supremacist domestic terrorist. That wasn't true either. Neither of those 
were true. Like people just don't do their research or their homework and they just run on assumptions and what the media or the government say. And, and it's usually wrong on both sides. So, yeah. But Jason Chambers, did, did yeah. he didn't he have some part in the federal aspect of the like he I think he got moved shortly after that and I think that's Stephen Duenzuono that's what you're thinking of Stephen Stephen was the one that was in charge of the Detroit field office the FBI yeah. field office in Detroit overseeing the Michigan investigation uh, he was the one in charge when Jason Chambers called and said hey tell them to open the doors to the Lansing Capitol and let everybody in and to stand down so we can get this photo up. Uh, that was Duantuono overseeing that. He got moved to head of the Washington, D.C. Uh, office prior to January 6th, and he'd already oversaw a case with a fake storming of the Capitol. Yep. So isn't that interesting, right? Um, and all of the groups that they claim were like militia groups that were involved in like an insurrection or a seditious conspiracy, literally every single one of those groups were infiltrated by the FBI well before January 6th. We have documentation from the Whitmer case that it was probably in 2018 and 19 that they infiltrated these different militia groups, Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, Three Percenters. I mean, hell, the, the vice president of the Oath Keepers was an FBI informant who had a heart attack the day before he was set to testify in the case. Coincidentally, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's uh, last point. Last thing. Uh, I, I want to give you a chance to talk about documentary. Can I understand what scope you're looking at, uh, where you want to start? Because we were talking beforehand, and it's like, especially when you get into this like kind of conspiracy realm, and I'm not using that negatively. Like, I, it, there clearly was a conspiracy on the Fed's part. This is like undeniable at this point. Like, n now, uh, like where the problem is, like once you start going down this road, everything bleeds into itself. Uh, the funny thing is, uh, I know this sounds really nerdy, but the example I thought of is like, uh, I don't know if you're like Game of Thrones or anything, but I know the new the new show that came out recently, one of the issues they had with this is if you look into like how those stories are written, they're almost like a history. So they didn't know where the hell to start because <laughs> one thing bleeds into another and like, like, yeah. like if you start here, how do you know the context of this thing? But then this thing has additional context on top of it. And that's well, a good like, example. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's a thing that rings true to you, but I'm a little bit of a nerd and I kind of knew some of these things. I haven't read a ton of their books, but yeah. like, I just knew like, it was like, it's the same concept of like, where do you start? Cause like we were talking before, like I, like my thing is like, okay, see, like, that's kind of like what I like to like, it is my like latest thing where I've been really super focused on. Like it's not latest, but it's been for a while, but like, even this thing, it, it leads back to the OKC, and then OKC leads to JFK, and then JFK leads to uh, exactly. like MK Ultra, and like yeah. it, it, it just and these are all like, and I know to normal people it sounds like crazy stuff. These are all things right. with well, like declassified stuff, like legit sources, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These yeah, are primary that happen. sources backing <laughs> yeah. it up 100. Yeah. percent Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that is the question, right? Where do you start? When I began my documentary, the journey of my documentary was. Uh, going and you know interviewing Brandon in person and getting his story, and then from there it branched out. You know, I was able to um, talk to Barry Croft. You know, start interviewing him before he was sentenced to 20 years in prison for something he didn't do. Uh, then I started talking to his family and his friends. And this is the other thing, which really is heartbreaking to me. Barry has tons of friends from all over the country because. As a truck driver, he would wear that tricorn hat 
and he would talk to people that he would meet and try to tell them about the constitution and how great America is and how much he loves this country, you know? So he, um, I've talked to people who've known him for 15 years that said Barry would never hurt a fly. Like in his entire life, he's never done anything really bad. Um, you know, he had one prior conviction from when he was like a young kid or whatever, but it was nothing violent or anything like that. Like, you know, so every single, then you start talking to one person, then it's another person before you know it. It's like this person says, Hey, I saw this going on in 2018. You might want to go back that far. This is how far it was going on. Then you talk to another person and you find out that one of the informants in this case that was run at Barry Croft was a man who also was run at the Bundy's and happened to be part of Oklahoma city. He was person number five, you know, unindicted co-conspirator or person of interest or something, you know, and he happened to be present at Waco when Waco happened. So you start looking into this stuff and you're like, oh my God, it, it is. And then it mirrors these PatCon operations completely. Like what we saw with, um, you know, Oklahoma City, where you had numerous people involved that were working for the government. You had numerous informants at Elohim City. You had Andreas Strassmeyer, who was probably German intelligence and working for the CIA. Then you had another girl there. I th her name was Carol. She was an undercover Carol ATF. Yeah. yeah, Carol Howe, ATF informant. She's telling her handling agent, hey, like these guys are scouting three different locations. I think something's going on here. Her handling agent at the ATF wants to go arrest the Strassmeyer. And, you know, the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, has a meeting with the FBI, the ATF, the fucking like one other organization. And they're like, oh, no, we're not going to shut this down. We're going to let this thing move forward. And so you just start to wonder, like, if just that event, you've got all these different agencies involved, like there was a, a level of coordination in there where you, you've got maybe some FBI informants. Because that's the other thing. The guy running Elohim City was an FBI informant. So you've got CIA, FBI, ATF. What? Then I read that they had a spy satellite overhead of Elohim City that like they're not even supposed to use domestically unless they get super permission for it. Yeah. It was like a joint CIA DOD spy satellite. It's the like damn level, near president level, like president or like like within that circle. <laughs> like, the level of resources devoted to something like that and why that might be like Timothy McVeigh was framed as like this. The the first, you know, besides Lee Harvey Oswald of like the lone wolf domestic terrorist, you know, person who served the country and then turned around and used those skills to become a terrorist and attack the country. That's the kind of things that they're they're doing to try to make militia groups sound bad now too is to kind of demonize people who are you know who like the constitution or you know firearms culture or whatever and make it appear dangerous but i also believe that they're the same level of resources devoted to something like okc i believe it was involved in the whitmer case too and, and it wasn't just the fbi um i believe there are other agencies involved and i think that when the truth comes out, it's really going to surprise people. I don't want to give too much away, but it wasn't just Michigan. They wanted it to be a multi-state operation, and they had targets in 15 different states. That's just that I know of right now. Could be more than that. 
So they really wanted this to be like a multi-state thing of people storming different state capitals. They were trying to get a 70-year-old disabled man to kill Ralph Northam. I mean, my God, you know, like yeah. this, that's what they wanted. Um, it's really weird. And there's just a lot of unanswered questions also that hopefully the documentary will tie together and uh, start, you know, bringing these different aspects into uh, something that makes sense. Yeah, and there's almost like a little bit of a weird white pill in there. Like, obviously, it's awful what happened to all these people. But if you compare it, like, if you're a student of these, like, real-world conspiracies, and I know people that it's such a term that is, like, aspersions cast on it, but conspiracies are a thing. They're out there. They're real. Operation Northwards, MKUltra, Mockingbird, et cetera, et cetera. All things with these sources, declassified information, et cetera. But, like, they – these are, like – if you compare it to past things and you compare this now, it's like the state is almost like it's, I, I mean, maybe it's just a anecdotal uh, example uh, with here who, who knows, but it's like, they weren't even able close to pull it off and they're, they're scrambling. Like they're yeah. scrambling to get to, they're almost pulling off the same thing that they did with the Trump thing. And I'm not a Trump fan, but you know, you remember the whole Russia collusion thing. And then they get all yeah. these different people surrounded by him on these discharge, that charge, things have nothing to do with it. And then the media runs with, Oh, look at his, all his people in his administration. Look at all these people being, you know, being, you know, uh, getting this. And it's like, okay, but yeah, but do any of these actually have to do with it? Is this legit? No. And it's kind of same thing here where it's like, they're scrambling to get these that way they can say, Hey, we have this many convictions. And it's like, Brandon was like uh, Brandon. And uh, I forget the other case at the time. They were almost like the first break in that chain. They were like, I mean, obviously the chain broke before that where they weren't able to, able to pull anything off. Like all these people were like, fuck you. I'm not doing this. Uh, no. And so then it scrambled to have something. And even then yeah. the something fell apart. And the, that's the, right. The, so it, there is a weird white pill in there. Obviously it's, yeah. it's awful that this happened to people, but it's like, there's something to be said of like almost like the there's level like a, of incompetence or yeah. something like, like a it, class consciousness raising in, in, in a commie like way, you know, people would say that, you know, like it's almost yeah. like people are getting wise to this shit, you know? Oh, that's a good point. I think you're yeah. right. You know, cause that's another misconception people have. They're like, Oh, how did you know? How did you not know you were surrounded by glowies or, or like feds or whatever? You know, it's sort of a meme to like mock these people is like, they were naive and stupid, you know? Oh, you didn't know you were surrounded by feds. He he ha ha. No, actually the, the FBI is, pretty good at this stuff. Their informants are pretty good at this stuff. At one point when they thought there could be, you know, oh, what if somebody here is a Fed or something, the FBI agents were texting their informants and saying, blame Trent, you know, just blame this other guy to take suspicion off yourself. It's not like these guys were stupid. They weren't. They just believed that as long as they didn't do anything criminal and didn't commit a crime, they couldn't be, they couldn't possibly be framed for something. That was the mistake that they made of thinking, if I don't do anything illegal, then even if there are some informers or feds in here, they can't get me on anything. That was the mistake that they made. It was a crucial mistake um, yeah. because it doesn't matter. They can, you know, get you, uh, you know, drunk saying something dumb. They can get some videos of you looking scary, string that together. Now, all of a sudden, you're a domestic terrorist that wanted to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer, even though there's no evidence of anyone entering into an agreement to do that and no steps being taken in furtherance of that. So if you wanted to kidnap a governor, let's say kidnap and kill a governor, 
you'd have to take steps to plan that. Like you would need a team of people. You would have to have like enough ammunition and firearms and like training to make that happen. There wasn't any of that. You know, Barry got duped to go on the night ride along because he was told they were doing land navigation training. He didn't even know why he was in the car or where he was going. They have him on audio where the undercover FBI agent says to the informant, do these guys even know where they're going? Like, because he himself knew something's like wrong about this. And Barry says destination unknown. So like, that's the other thing where there seems to be within the FBI itself, you had all these different field offices working this, giving kind of contradictory statements and stuff. It's just all very weird and convoluted. Um, and so I'm hoping that the documentary really exposes too just how something like this can be made up from whole cloth, right? Another thing people don't know about is the government did what they called reenactment videos. So they literally made a Hollywood production of something they said the guys were going to do. And they were allowed to show that to a jury. But the jury wasn't allowed to see the all the times that they said, no, I don't want to do anything violent. No, we're not going to do this. No, we're not going to shoot into the governor's residence. We're not going to attack her security detail. Like the, the jury didn't get to see that stuff, but got to see these Hollywood production videos of like a, a reenactment of what would have happened. They were so incompetent when they drove these guys by the governor's cottage house and they had the pull cam up to surveil them. They didn't even catch them like on the camera. So they had to go back and do it again. Like the FBI had to, they themselves drive past the governor's house, park in her driving lot, and then pull out in a reenactment video. And it's like, how do you get to show that to a jury? That's so prejudicial. It's just insane. It didn't actually happen. But so like, <laughs> it, oh, but it, that's what they were saying. Like they wanted to do it. It could have happened. But it's like, and this is a court of law. You know, I just was stunned by some of the things I saw and heard at that trial. You had one FBI agent talking about the fireworks saying it was raining down sparkles, like raining down sparkles. You're charging them with WMDs for that? Yeah. What? <laughs> what is happening? First degree burn. <laughs> raining down sparkles. So, yeah. Um, the documentary, though, I still have a lot of work to do on it. I hope you guys like the trailer. There, you, you can support the documentary if you want to. We're doing some fundraising for that right now. If you go to the website, it's kankfilm.com. It just redirects to our Give, Send, Go, where we're trying to raise enough money to really do the story, the justice it deserves. It's going to be a long and massive story. Um, and it continues to get like bigger and bigger, more and more work. Uh, so hopefully it'll be out by the end of the year um it might have to be a two-part because i haven't even gotten into the state cases yet in my documentary just the federal case and i think the state cases are equally important and less talked about and just as an interesting note um i'll leave you with this in the state case of five guys right now that are being charged with providing material support for terrorism the null brothers uh eric molitor brian higgins and sean fix um the government sealed everything, all of the documents from the public, all of the discovery and all of the evidence from the media and the public. A local journalist in Michigan, his name is Eric Von Dusen, he sued to get that information unsealed because he's like, what the hell? You can't just do that. 
Then the judge said, okay, we'll unseal it. Boom. The attorney general of Michigan, Dana Nessel, sues to have that information resealed. So again, I'd ask the question, if you have all of this evidence of a conspiracy to kidnap and kill Gretchen Whitmer, why do you need to seal all of the discovery and all of the evidence in a high profile case like that? What are you hiding? Yeah. Uh, well, I really appreciate your time. This has been great. I really can't think of much like anything better that I would have rather have dropped, like in probably the biggest influx of uh, traffic I'm going to have in this channel in probably a long time and have ever had. Uh, I think this is great. We touched on a lot of stuff. We touched on, I think, an important current event story. Uh, also touched on some other stuff that I like, you know, the OKC stuff, etc. cetera. Uh, this has been, I think, a great first impression for a lot of new people to come to this channel. And I hope people go to your channel as well. Uh, so with that, if you could drop your plugs again, uh, yeah. let them know where they can support you uh, or where they can, you know, go follow your 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 writing, your your videos, et cetera, et cetera. Because I do really think yeah. you do great work and I, oh, I can't stress you. enough. So. That's so sweet. Uh, my YouTube channel is just Radix Verum. I am at not Radix on Twitter. So spell like N-O-T. R-A-D-I-X, not Radix on Twitter. Are you um, banavating? <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I would never no, do that. <laughs> we would never do that here. Like my third no account. What you're talking about. Um, <laughs> and my Substack is radixferum.substack.com. I am on locals. You can join my locals community. It's free to join. You do not have to be a, a supporting member each month, but it's a fun community where you can interact with me and my listeners, that's ratexperiment.locals.com. Um, and other than that, um, I think just watch for the documentary. The documentary's YouTube channel is K&K Film Official on YouTube. You can subscribe there. You'll get any updates about the documentary posted there. Also, there's a Twitter account for the documentary. It is uh, K&K Film so you can follow the Twitter account also for more information on and We'll try to keep people updated as we go. Hopefully, if we meet all of our fundraising goals, we'll have some really, really good stuff for you guys. So I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Once again, for my plugs, is it's a No Way Jose show. You can find me on YouTube, all major, all packages, obviously as well. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at Tower Gang Jose. Uh, you can, uh, if you want to support me financially, patreon.com is no way Jose 2020. Appreciate everyone who, uh, showed up for this. Everyone who checks it out, uh, please share it around, like, share, subscribe, all that nonsense. And with that, we are out. Appreciate it. And broadcast. <laughs> <laughs>